Updating the classics as rap musicals, early childhood policies in the election spotlight, and the long-term harm of childhood medication. Hello and welcome to Talking Eds, APN Educational Media's weekly review podcast, comprising the team behind Early Learning Review, Education Review, and Campus Review. I'm Patrick Avenal, and I'm the news editor for these sites, and I'm joined by Lauren Smith from Early Learning Review. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Patrick. And James Wells from Campus Review and Education Review. Hi, James. Hi, Patrick. Now, in part one, James, you did a story about uh, the Sydney Conservatorium of Music putting on a rap version of the Odyssey. And uh, updating the, the classics for the kids has been uh, popular recently. Uh, we've gone through a spate of uh, Shakespeare plays being updated. Uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet is now 20 years old, amazingly. There was 10 Things I Hate About You. That was based on The Taming of the Shrew. The Lion King is based on Hamlet. And now a rap version of the Odyssey. Tell us more. This rap version of the Odyssey is the, bra- it's the brainchild of Luca Lesson, who's an Australian Greek slam poet and rap artist, um, a US music US music producer, Jordan Thomas Mitchell, and uh, the video artist is Claudia Delimore, and uh, Dr. James Humberstone from the Sydney Conservatory of Music, and he's a music education lecturer there. It's the rap version of the of Homer's three thousand year old classic, the Odyssey, which is the unofficial sequel to the Iliad. It tells the story of the Odyssey, so we know what the storyline is. But it it, all, it reflects a new education push that's going on in the con, which is while while it, it still has its focus on classical music, which it has been since its inception, they're integrating those classical genres and those. Very classical ancient texts with modern technology, modern genres, modern literature, and essentially making it relevant for an audience of today. What's anyone's thoughts on that? Well, just in case anyone might not know, the story of the Odyssey is is the is the sort of the the classic story of ancient Greece, which was about the Trojan War, uh, characters like Cyclops and uh, Sirens, um, Circean, I believe. Oh yeah. Yes. Who um, lures Odysseus and his crew onto an island and turns them all into pigs, something like that. So th- these are the classic stories that that have been updated. I, I personally, I, I think these, this is great. I think it's it's really great when you see uh, modern artists uh, creating new interpretations of classic texts, making them accessible to younger people, introducing them. I've got no doubt that people who go and see this modern version, if they are impressed with it, and it speaks to them in their own language, will then pick up the book and read it. Uh, Lauren, you're a bit younger than me. Are you the sort of person that would enjoy a rap version of uh, the classics? Uh, I'm, I think I'd prefer to hear the traditional version, but I'm a bit old-fashioned in my taste, perhaps. Um, but I can see why this would certainly appeal to people uh, maybe even slightly younger than me, because I'm not as young as you <laughs> think I am, Patrick. <laughs> the, you, you prefer your, your classics Brad Pitt in, in Troy? I don't know if I'd call that classic. We're going to take a listen now to one of the songs from the, the, uh, the Odysseus Live. And this is a track called Suitors. And uh, have a listen. Athena. I 
get a better vision of a street scene She said I was a sweet pea But I never wanna tell her I'm a killer with a mean streak She better get a step back Before she gets big confession in my mission get a setback I better run the next trap Better lie to get it now I gotta go back, get back They thought I was a nice guy But a little too clever Never let up till it's night night They mess up with the right tribe Giving high fives just to align on our lifelines Set sail when I side tight Never bail till the right time Twelve ships that we cause an eclipse when we drive by Full clips when we hit then it's bye bye About time we got done with these fakes Wanna carve these bastards' names in the marble of my father's grave I fought for 20 years, dead man on the end of my spear I learned to better my fear, stay focused when the enemy's near Never back up when they act up, just stack up with the axes for the action Go to war for my faction, through the first smack then wait for their weak reaction Watch like an eagle, scope the scene, sniff like a beagle, know their weakness Pierce like a needle, hopes and dreams, let them bleed out, sacrifice to Athena Been a fiender, a bad father, a castaway, a dead martyr A bastard straight, a poor but a lover, a heartless fake, a beaner A husband, a king and a killer, singing the psalms and the hymns of the giver Washing my palms and the sins of the sinners, cutting and covering their limbs and their livers What do you think of that, Lauren? That was pretty impressive. Sounded great. Uh, if you like that hip hop style, I guess. James, what were your thoughts when you first heard that? Very up. It's an upbeat way of telling, of, of basically t um, telling the story of Odysseus, which is an upbeat story. And it's violent and it's turbulent in the way and expresses it, it, which is sort of reflects his journey. Do you think? I, I think that it is. It is a lot more aggressive than I thought it would be when I first heard it. But as soon as it sort of I adapted to it. as soon as my brain sort of clicked into it I really enjoyed the beat and and the style that was being that sort of laid down I guess uh, for one of a better expression and I feel as though it's very on trend the, the the tempo the cadence that it's speaking at the highly literal narrative lyrics that are that are involved is very similar to a lot of the rap music you hear if you turn on uh, urban radio stations you know rap these days is, is much more about storytelling than it is about you know, dissing people or setting off phony turf wars. 
And, and that's what I really liked about it. It reminded me a lot of Hamilton, the, the huge Broadway smash that is, that is playing on Broadway at the moment. Uh, for me, it, it really was high quality is what, is, what I, is what the impression that came across to me. I beg to differ on that point. I think the production sounded a little bit cheap, dare I say. Oh, really? The, do you have an example or can you, can you sort of... It sounded like the backbeat, for instance, was composed on a Casio keyboard. <laughs> I think a lot of great rap songs have been composed on... Sure they have, but this just wasn't tweaked enough for me. It just sounded like a standard demo tape from the 90s. Yeah, well, just to give the, the credits for that for that track, it was written by Luca Lesson, James Humberston and Jordan Thomas Mitchell, and that performance was by Luca Lesson and students of the Sydney Conservatorium of Music and the University of Sydney. In part two, Lauren, this week in early childhood, there was a policy forum in Adelaide that gave uh, the major parties a chance to explain, debate, flesh out the major policy issues ahead of the election on 2 July. Uh, what went down? A lot went down, Patrick, and I'm going to try and be as quick and concise as possible. So I'll just explain who was there. Um, there was Sean Edwards, who was representing Simon Birmingham, the Education Minister. There was Kate Ellis, the Labor Early Childhood Minister. I should say Shadow Early Childhood Minister. And then there was Sarah Hanson-Young, who is the Greens Early Childhood Spokesperson. So one of the, they, they obviously talked about uh, the cost of childcare, which has been spoken about almost ad nauseum at this point. We all know it's a huge issue. So what I focused on were the sort of secondary issues that they discussed. And the first one was that of universal preschool that is, um, you know, accessible preschool for all three-year-olds in Australia. Uh, our rate of that is only 66%. And that means that we're well behind New Zealand which is around um, 96%, the UK, which is 97%, and even Japan is 81%. So we're well behind comparable countries. And basically, Labor and Liberals said that um, they would like to increase our rate, but there are capacity constraints, which basically means they can't afford it. And the Greens, although they didn't say how they would afford to pay for it, said that uh, we're spending all this money on nuclear submarines, yet we can't afford uh, preschool for three-year-olds and it just shows that we're not prioritising it. So another secondary issue that they talked about was child and family centres and just to give you a quick explanation of these, they're basically all-in-one centres for vulnerable children and their families and the issue with this is that these centres, there are 38 of them across the country, were opened by the Labor government and when the Liberal government came in they basically abandoned funding for them so they're just sitting there idle not being used. Um, so obviously that was a contentious point. Um, Labor said if they were elected they would refund them and the Greens supported them in that. Uh, another point that was raised was um, wages for early childhood educators and this probably was one of the most contentious points raised. Um, Basically, Sean Edwards of the Liberal Party said that the quote, the issue of low rates has largely been overcome. We all know that that's fundamentally incorrect. Uh, early childhood educators are not being paid well. So there was a bit of a back and forth about that, which was quite entertaining. Uh, another issue discussed was professional development. And again, there was 
uh, contention between the Liberal Party and on the one hand and Labour and Greens on the other. The Liberals said um, early educators should fund their own professional development. And that's a bit of a big ask, I think, on top of the fact that they're paid you know, they're one of the worst paid industries in this country. And teachers don't have to fund their own professional development. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And why should they, um, you know, many of whom have an equivalent qualification, have to pay extra? So I'll just quickly move on to the last point, which is family daycare. Um, so this is where an educator um, uses their own home to um, care for children. Uh, it's seen some compliance issues in the past, also funding issues, and um, this was actually one area um, where all the parties agreed that it needs to be further funded and the compliance needs to be cleaned up. So that's pretty much a summary of some, some of the points that were raised. Did any of the, the speakers or the representatives deliver a knockout blow, or was there a winner in this forum? Sean Edwards was definitely out of his depth. Um, that is not his portfolio. And he even admitted that he was briefed on this, um, you know, 24 hours before. So there were some points where I actually cringed for him on his behalf because he clearly didn't know enough to really back up what he was saying. Um, Kate Ellis was very strong. Um, she's been in the early childhood portfolio for a long time. So she's very on top of all the facts. Um, I felt that she was probably the most dominant. Um, Sarah Hudson Young was also quite good, but Kate Ellis was probably a bit more assertive in the way in which she put her points across. Do we know why Simon Birmingham wasn't there, the actual education minister? And a senator from South Australia, so it is his hometown. Um, he must have been caught up with other election uh, commitments in Canberra, I suppose, but I know that he was at another early childhood election forum on Wednesday night in Sydney. So maybe that was why. But was this, would you describe this whole debate as underwhelming? You mean the, this, this particular this, this debate? This particular debate, yes. Uh, it was a little, it was, it, it was slightly disappointing in that the Liberal Party couldn't even, even produce an expert to, to front their party. Um, seeing as this is a big election issue, um, it kind of speaks to the fact that perhaps the Liberal government doesn't really prioritise this area. It, it sounds as though this is an area where uh, the, the government doesn't really feel as though they can win votes, so they're not going to put plough money into it. And then you've got the Greens, who know they're not going to form governments. So they can make as many promises as they want in the hope of winning a Senate seat. And so then you're stuck with Labor in the middle trying to be pragmatic about it. And, and I think that they, they, they have, you know, ambitious plans, but... Whether or not they could deliver those plans, you know, on budget and on time would be would be the, the test for them. That's a really interesting and insightful point because, oh, actually, um, in early childhood um, in this election, the Greens form the middle ground. Uh, Labor's on the one extreme of being very generous and Liberal on the other. So it's interesting that for once the Greens are actually not on the periphery, and I think it could be because of. The point that you just suggested. Which party do you think sort of, if, if you were a wedge voter where this is the only issue you cared for, what's the party that you think you'd gravitate towards? Well, it's hard to say because, you know, as much as I like the idealism of the Labour Party, how are they going to fund this? That remains a huge issue. Well, they say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll um, chase up the, the 
um, companies that are not paying their fair share of tax and uh, Kate Ellis raised a whole bunch of other things, um, corporate tax cuts, etc. But um, getting those through government will be quite a feat, I think, and I, I don't know if it's achievable. Did this um, debate talk about how to make early childhood education actually a vote-grabbing issue? Because I've heard the saying that the best economic plan is to live in a marginal seat. Their the, the logic goes, the best economic plan for a sector is to be be a vote-grabbing sector, be a marginal sector, so you would say. So was there... Did, did this forum talk about how to actually raise the prominence of early childhood education on the political sphere and make it a big issue? Not really, because it was already speaking to that sector. It wasn't a general forum, it was an early childhood forum um, hosted, I should have said, by Early Childhood Australia. So the audience members, the people tuning in via the live stream on Facebook were all early childhood um, industry people. So... Unfortunately, there was very little perspective given. In part three today, we're going to look at the effects of drugs that are prescribed for children for common ailments and the long-term effects that they have on their well-being. And uh, this story was doing the rounds this week, and it, it, it's quite. What's quite interesting about it is that for childhood uh, issues such as autism and obsessive-compulsive disorders and even ADHD. These are sort of uh, common uh, issues that are faced by primary school and some high school kids. And the solution over the last few years has been to medicate them. And now a study that's being done at the University of Wollongong has shown that these these antipsychotic drug medications in childhood can have long-term effects leading to depression and anxiety later in life. And I, uh, I wanted to read out a quotation from child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Nick Kowalenko. And he said that the, the research should make everyone a fraction more cautious about the drugs that have been prescribed. And uh, he did uh, caution restraint, saying, we haven't had the history of strategic funding for research in the area, so it's certainly helpful to us as clinicians to have better long-term data on the use of these sorts of medication. And uh, these particular medications should be considered after parents have had the opportunity to discuss a comprehensive assessment and comprehensive treatment plan with their children. So instead of rushing to prescribe uh, drugs to, to sort of, I guess, address the symptoms of, uh, of disorders, uh, there should be more care taken to think about other issues such as change to diet, uh, change to cognitive behavioural therapy, mindfulness, a lot of the other things that you can do to try and uh, stop the symptoms of uh, 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 OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and attention deficit hyperactive disorder, ADHD. And I was interested to know, uh, you guys, what, what you've seen sort of in your fields in school and in early learning around this subject. Well, um, I've, he- I've heard quite a few stories about teachers who, because they're so time poor already, and then they get in this class, they get a child who has these behavioural difficulties. And they obviously require specialised attention, which teachers can't give. And, that, and, that, and they, they're thinking, oh, damn, I've got, I've got all these kids, plus this child how can I handle and some I've, I've heard stories of teachers almost pressuring parents to get their kids on medication so they'd calm down and I, I guess do you think that if there was more of an ex, of an understanding that you can take uh, you know the famous one is obviously Ritalin you can take Ritalin now to affect the you know the behavior of a child but that's going to lead potentially to depression and anxiety when that child is in their late teens 20s 
do you think that that's going to have a material effect on on those sort of prescriptions? Um, oh, raising awareness will obviously help, but the issue is is that te- there needs to be specialised staff in schools to help these kids, and that also requires some money. It's not just in schools, though. It's at home. You know, these kids can be really, really difficult for parents to deal with, and I think for a lot of parents who are very time-poor as it is, like teachers giving them a pill every day is probably an easier way of dealing with it than, you know, seeing a psychologist twice a week or, you know, other other methods of treatment. So um, I think, I don't know how much this will affect um, the rates of medicaid, this sort of medication in children, especially since this is just one study. So, um, you know, there's not enough evidence yet to, to actually show that that link is a strong one. And just quickly before we close, there was another study this week that showed that uh, increasing fibre in a child's diet can help uh, reduce the effect and seriousness of peanut allergies. I just wanted to have a quick chat about uh, this sort of issue in, um, in primary school especially and early learning is, is a huge issue. There seems to have been, uh, the peanut allergy has become such a uh, de jour issue for, for children, it's almost been been held up like a status symbol now. My child's got the peanut allergy, you know, no peanuts to school, don't no, share food. No, now it's food. the gluten allergy yes. or the dairy allergy. Yeah, no, I'm no dairy, so let's... So let, am I, so, so I can say that. That's I like dairy. dairy. It's a perfectly <laughs> responsible allergy. The But I, I just thought this was such a, a fascinating uh, 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 sort of, you know, story that's come about because if we can solve the peanut allergy, I think that would be a big deal because that's the one that you hear most about, you know, uh, a child uh, accidentally eats peanuts, they suffer from anaphylaxis, the EpiPen. So on that point, Patrick, I think the reason it gets a lot of media attention is because of the anaphylaxis. Yet in fact, the, anaphylax- the anaphylactic reaction is extremely rare, as it is only 3% of Australian children have a peanut allergy, and of that 3%, only a tiny fraction will have an anaphylactic reaction. So unfortunately, it's a case of media inflating this issue, which is actually quite minor in the scheme of things. All right, but if you are listening and your child has the peanut allergy, it's extra fiber is what you need to load them up with, apparently. Well, it worked on mice, so they haven't yet tested on humans, but you never know. Try it out and let us know. Yeah, Lauren, fiber's good for you anyway, so just eat more fiber. Lauren, thank you very much for joining us on Talkie Eds. Thank you, Patrick. Now, James, you're going to be away on holiday for the next few editions. I am, I am, I am. Make everyone jealous. Where are you going? Malta, Spain, Portugal, and Morocco. Well, excellent. Uh, make sure you keep some notes about what schooling and, and university is like over there, and we'll find out when you get back everything that's happened. Sure thing. Thank you very much.